0: Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. That gospel reading is actually from Mark 12, and I thought it was, and I did a double take when I looked at the typo, uh, so I apologize for announcing the wrong chapter. Today is the Eve of All Saints. It's also known as Reformation Sunday in the life of Protestant churches. Um, uh, In the United Church of Christ, we have added the terminology of reconciliation to it as well to uh, indicate that we uh, no longer see our Roman Catholic siblings as uh, adversaries as for so many years Protestants did but it is appropriate that we remember the life and witness not only of Martin Luther but of all the reformers throughout the history of the church uh, on this day and we will name a good number of them in our prayers a little bit later but it is particularly appropriate to talk a little bit about Martin Luther today and what led to the Reformation that began in 1517, that certainly had antecedents going back many years before that. To say that Martin Luther was a seminal figure in history would be something of an understatement. So great was the cantankerous monks influence on Western history that Western history can be divided into the time before Luther and the time after Luther his insights changed not only the lives of his immediate followers and their descendants but also deeply influenced the faith of every christian descended through the western or roman catholic tradition luther is even recognized to this day as a a significant influence in the roman catholic tradition the notion the whole notion of salvation by grace through faith alone was first succinctly preached by Luther. He wasn't the first to come up with it, but he was the first to articulate it succinctly. You know, with all of Luther's wide-sweeping influence, we have very little information about his early life, and we've spent very little time trying to understand exactly what led this German monk to such insights. What motivated a servant of the church to lead a theological rebellion that divided the church and led to centuries of conflict among would-be followers of Jesus? I think to understand Luther, we have to go back to his childhood. He was born to Hans and Margaret Luther on November 10, 1483. His father was a miner who had enjoyed a measure of success that led to him being able to secure a more comfortable middle class life for his family. But Hans Luther never forgot those difficult years of struggle and pushed all of his children to succeed. Young Martin was a particular focus of Hans encouragement because he showed such promise. Martin excelled at school and Hans encouraged him to pursue a career in law, a goal toward which Martin worked incessantly for most of his early life. Martin flew through his university and graduate studies and graduated with the highest of honors. Hans privately relished his son's triumphs, but something was eating away at Martin. He had no passion for law and nothing he seemed to do earned demonstrable affirmation and affection from his father. Hans was incredibly reserved with his children, not uncommon in that time and place, especially among those striving for a place among respectable society. When Martin was caught in an awful thunderstorm on July 2nd, 1505, he was so overwhelmed with fear of death that he cried out to St. Anne for help and pledged to God that if spared from that storm, he would enter a monastery and become a priest. Luther survived that storm and kept his word. On July 17th, just a little over Two weeks after that storm, Luther withdrew from law school and joined the Augustinians, one of the strictest orders of monks. Hans, his father, was furious. Having spent his whole life trying to achieve a measure of success and respect, Hans saw Martin's decision as a betrayal of all his sacrifices. His last words to Martin before he entered the monastery were, may all of this prove not prove little more than illusion or deception. Martin did not adjust well to monastic life, but his struggle was not so much with the daily rhythm of work and prayer, but rather with the idea that he could ever be worthy to stand before God as a servant, much less a priest. Luther was tormented by his own insecurities. He saw himself as the worst of sinners and completely undeserving of grace or love. No matter the counsel of his elder brothers in the monastery or the assurance of countless figures through scripture and tradition, Luther simply could not see himself as worthy of God's love or salvation. It was that struggle that drove Luther to a deeper study of the Bible and to question the church's teaching about indulgences or the idea that one could simply be made right with God through making a donation to the church. Yes, there was a time when that was the prevailing attitude. All of Luther's life was a struggle to er, to discover a loving God worthy of love. Let me say that again all of luther's life was a struggle to discover a loving god worthy to love it's no accident that the emblem of lutheranism the tradition of christianity that traces its roots to martin luther is a cross embossed over a heart at the center of a budding flower The struggle to define the core of the Judeo-Christian faith has been with us from the very beginning. What is the very heart of God's will for creation? And what does it mean to follow that will? Those are the questions that have driven matriarchs and patriarchs and prophets and philosophers and rabbis and pastors and teachers throughout the thousands of years of this tradition that has been handed on to us. And we stand with them in asking those same questions. Now it's important to realize as Christians that Jesus wasn't the first to ask those questions or to address them. Jesus stands in that long line of faithful questioners and benefited from the wisdom and the insight of those who came before him He was a devout Jew and knew by heart the Shema, those beautiful verses from Deuteronomy that we heard read this morning. And that's why it should come as no surprise to us that Jesus responds as he does when that scribe approaches him in the temple and asks, what is the most important commandment? At first, we might be inclined to think this is another trap, For these verses come in the midst of the confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders in the temple. He has driven out the merchants and the lenders who had taken up residence in that space, and he has been questioned by the religious leaders who were seeking to understand exactly what he's trying to do. Many of them suspect that Jesus is a terrorist, They believe he will attempt a rebellion against Rome, one that will lead to much bloodshed and suffering as well as to a loss of power and position for them. That's why they seek to trap him with questions about whether one should pay taxes to the emperor and what will be the nature of life in the resurrection if there is one. Jesus has answered their questions with wisdom and insight eluding the traps that they have set for him. I think that's what leads this lone scribe to approach Jesus and earnestly ask what Jesus sees as the most important commandment. This isn't a trap. It's rather an honest question from a religious leader who has watched Jesus interact with the temple establishment and found him in his teaching to be intriguing enough to risk ridicule by treating Jesus with respect that's what he does in walking up to jesus and asking his opinion jesus senses that this man is sincere and he offers a thoughtful response and invites that man into conversation you shall love the eternal one your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength That's the very heart of the Jewish faith recited multiple times a day by devout Jews for millennia. These words do not come as a surprise to the scribe, but rather confirm that Jesus stands with him in seeking to be faithful to the teachings of Moses and Miriam and all the prophets. Jesus follows, though, that there is a second commandment that cannot be divorced from the first you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These words would not come as a surprise to the religious teacher, either for all of the 613 or 614 laws of their tradition, it depends on how you read one verse, were based on the very premise of loving one's neighbor. The man is utterly delighted with Jesus' response and says, You've spoken rightly, it's far more important to love God with everything we have and are, and to love our neighbors as ourselves than to worry about burnt offerings or sacrifices. Jesus is so impressed with that man's response that he says quite pointedly, you're not far from the kingdom of God. It's the most impressive response we've heard from Jesus toward any religious or political leader in all of Mark's gospel. This encounter between Jesus and the scribe is unique in that the scribe comes to Jesus, not to trap Jesus, but to honestly understand. He wants to know who Jesus is and what Jesus is really teaching, and he reaches out with an honest question and opens the door for legitimate conversation. The chasm between this member of the religious establishment and Jesus is bridged, and a relationship of mutuality and respect is built. Common ground is forged. The idea of engaging with those with whom we disagree with respect and openness has almost been lost in our world. We struggle to recognize the humanity of those with whom we disagree about politics, climate change, economics, the pandemic, vaccines, wearing masks. It's so easy for us to feel like we have the moral high ground and those with whom we disagree are utterly and completely evil. Jesus in this encounter though reminds us that the heart of the Judeo-Christian faith is the unwavering belief that I can only love God as much as I love my neighbors, especially those who are different from me. We come to this table, this altar, on which is given the sacrificial love of God in Christ for the healing of the world. We are invited to come together as one people, to bridge the chasms that divide us, to recognize once more our common need for grace. We are nourished with the living presence of one who treated friend and foe alike with respect, with dignity. And we are sent from this place filled with love to continue the work. Amen.